I'm Sharon Betters, and it is my great privilege to introduce you to Gracie Rosenberger. You're listening to a Help and Hope resource produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. And I first met Gracie through her book, Standing with Hope. And I was immediately taken by this warrior woman. A warrior woman is a woman who faces really difficult obstacles with determination and grit and faith. And Gracie is one of those. In fact, it was when she was 17 that her life was turned upside down when she had an accident that should have been a fatal automobile accident. Since that fateful night, Gracie has experienced at least 78 surgeries and most likely faces more She is a double amputee who has become an accomplished snow skier, and I have to ask her about that. She has performed as a vocalist before presidents and shared stages with some of America's biggest stars, singing for hundreds of thousands. Gracie's story amazes me, and I am so excited to invite you to listen in on our conversation. Gracie and her husband, Peter, have two sons, and they co-founded Standing with Hope, a nonprofit organization that provides prosthetic limbs to people in third world countries. Gracie, it is such a privilege to talk with you and share your story with others who need encouragement desperately from someone who is a little further in life's journey. Welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Gracie, you were 17 years old. And your whole life was ahead of you. I mean, it just sounded like you you were on your way to great things. Something happened when you were on your way to visit a friend. What happened and how did those 90 seconds change your life? It was at the end of my first semester at Belmont as a freshman in college. I had stayed up long nights, not partying but studying and practicing. I felt like I could learn how to play every single instrument and I could be a vocal and piano major. And I mean that, you know, there would be enough hours in the day to do all that. And if I slept three or four hours a night, that my eating well and jogging, you know, three and a half to four miles a day would make up for that. But it didn't. A week before finals, I went on a trip to meet my good friend in Little Rock, Arkansas, on I-40. So about 90 minutes out of Nashville, I fell asleep at the wheel. And it forever changed my life irrevocably and um, horrifically, some would say. But I can say 34 years out that um, I would say miraculous. First of all, it's a miracle that I lived. But miraculously, I can say today that I would not want to have to go through it again. But I definitely am grateful for the things that I've learned that I would not have learned otherwise. I want to talk about some of those things that you learned uh, as we dig more into this conversation. But what what were some of the worst moments for you in the months and the, well, I guess, the years after uh, that terrible night? At first, you know, I think waking up after three and a half uh, weeks of being unconscious when I woke up and I was in traction, but I, you know, I didn't realize where I was or that I was in traction, but I just knew I couldn't move. 
and crying, you know, mommy, daddy, mommy, daddy. And finally, mm-hmm. you know, I could see my dad's face over me and he told me, you know, you know, Gracie, you're in Nashville. You you had a really bad car wreck. The very first thing I thought of when he told me that was, oh, my Lord, did I hit somebody? Did I hit somebody else? Mm-hmm. Because nobody was in the car with me. So my fear was that I had hit someone. So thank God I had not hit anyone else. The convoy of truckers that I passed right before I fell asleep prevented me from hitting anyone else. That was just one of the many uh, miracles that happened. When they saw that I was falling asleep, they blocked um, that westbound lane of the interstate so nobody could get up there by me uh, while blowing their horns, of course, trying to wake me up. But when they saw Mm -hmm. that I was not going to, when I finally put my head down on the wheel, the trucker behind me, who did come to see me in the hospital, said, you know, I, I want you to put your head down on the wheel. You never picked it up again. One of the harshest realities is realizing that if I had fallen asleep literally one minute before or one minute after I did, I would have not hit the abutment I had. There's only... There's mm-hmm. only one abutment between here and Memphis, and I hit mm-hmm. it. And when I say the cement abutment, it's not the big, long side of it, you know. It's the end of it that's six and a half inches wide. Um, mm-hmm. That takes some talent <laughs> to, to hit <laughs> that head on. I mean, literally, and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, if you, if you went to our website, you know, standingwithhope.com, we have pictures of the car. I mean, literally, it was a Honda Accord, four-door Honda Accord, and that thing, it just wrapped around that abutment, mm-hmm. and then the propulsion flipped me into the creek bed that was about 18 to 20 feet down on the other side, but uh, mm-hmm. I mean, just right in the center, of it, like, it, like it had a target on it, you know, but, mm-hmm. but that's the thing is you go, Lord, if, you, you know, if, if I was going to fall asleep, couldn't you have had me, you know, could you have had me fall asleep just a, a few minutes before, a few minutes after? And because mm. if, if I had done that, I would have just rolled into a field and stalled out. You know, that's not what happened. I read your book. There were so many moments that you knew it wasn't an accident. I mean, it was an accident, but there were so many really moments where you had to look and say, that there's some bigger power here going on. I mean, I remember one of the things that you said is the having the truckers that were there immediately to tend to you and uh, to get help right away. Without them, you probably would not have survived, uh, according to what I read in the book. Oh, absolutely. I would not have survived because the because of the creek bed, this you know ravine or creek bed that I went down into I flipped they said three or four times down into see this is the middle of the day um if this had been Mm -hmm. at night nobody would have seen me and then if they hadn't been behind me unless you had been in their position to see the whole thing happen nobody would have known and that it happened Mm -hmm. you know because because of me hitting and then being propelled into the ravine no one would have known that it had happened. So it's a complete miracle that they were there. And they tried, you know, desperately to, I couldn't see them, but I could hear them 
saying, you know, don't go to sleep, don't go to sleep, you know, tell us your name. And I thought I was in shock at that point, um, in medical shock. So mm. I, I was thinking, I trying to tell, I'm trying to get my mouth to move, but I can't get it to move, you know? Yeah. Um, and then I, at some point I, I tried to get out some numbers cause they would say, what's your name or what are your parents name or mm. what's your parents phone number? You know, and so at one point I got out some numbers, but they weren't the correct numbers. You know, mm. I just could not get my mouth to move. Um, I, I couldn't open my eyes and, um, mm. but with, with, without those guys being there and without the, you know, the, the truckers, the ones who said that there was uh, some man who would, they don't know if he was a doctor. He didn't talk to them. You know, I know it, in your, in your book, you share a lot about what happened in the next months, and then you were back to school. But of course, life was still going to be quite different than what you had expected. Uh, you met Peter and married him, and that's quite a wonderful story. But your losses did not stop once you let, went home. Like you said, you finally realized there probably isn't a surgery or a medicine that's going to fix this. And you had uh, two beautiful little boys, but with each one of their births, there was another huge loss. Uh, why don't you tell us about that? Well, in the wreck, um, my, le my left leg was crushed beyond repair and the right one was cut off. Um, mm -hmm. They grafted um, the right leg back on and then the left one, they did skin grafts and, and bone grafts and stuff. Um, but they caused me just excruciating pain. And I was told I would never be able to have children. I was told all along. I mean, we have friends in the hospital right now who are older. And I find myself being this fighter or lays on for them because I know that my parents were told the same things that these doctors are telling their families. Hmm. Oh, he'll probably be a vegetable. And, you know, he's, he, according to the brain scans, you know, he's lost upper brain power, however they put it. And I, my parents were told all those things down to, you know, she will it looks like that she's not going to walk again and she'll probably be a vegetable. She'll definitely never have children that all of that, you know, mm. and God made our bodies in a very unique and miraculous way that no man, I personally believe no doctor is ever going to truly be able to decipher and say, this is how it works mm. because he made it to constantly rebuild to remake itself to heal itself and that's what happens things regenerate my ovaries everything were crushed mm -hmm. but um so when I got married I was told you know that I wouldn't be able to have children and mm -hmm. I got pregnant um a little over a year after we got married with our first son Parker after that though I ended up losing the right leg because of the circulatory issues, you know, you have with pregnancy. It took a toll on that leg. And so I ended up losing that leg. 
then when I finally relinquished, I had to make the decision myself. That was a lovely decision to get mm. to make because mm. um, um, the surgeon I had wanted me to make that decision and he didn't want to make that decision. So I finally got to the point where when you have tried everything known to man and more, uh, things that they say that won't work and I try it anyway, mm. um, you know, to try to save the legs and and then the leg, the left leg, um, you get to the point where you go, you know, life has got to be better than, you know, I had a toddler who was walking and running around and I was crawling, uh, mm. you know, around on my hands and knees because it hurt too much to walk. So I finally, I made the decision to go ahead and have them take the left leg. Mm. And um, I knew, I knew what it would be like as much as I could from losing the right leg, but it's a whole different story mm. going and losing one leg to losing both legs. When you look down and you've got one leg, okay, you know, that's a loss, but you've still got one. But when you look down and there's no leg, mm. I think God gives you certain instruments in learning how to deal with loss. And yes, losing the left leg was surprisingly much harder for me. Mm. But God, um, while I was recuperating, my mother-in-law was with me a good bit of the time while I was recuperating from losing the left leg. And she, you know, just trying to talk about different things with me. What are some of the things, you know, that you still want to do with your life? And what are some of your heart's desires that you still would like the Lord to fulfill? And I got tears in my eyes and I said, well, Peter would, you know, lose it if he were here listening to this conversation. But she goes, well, Peter's not here. So go ahead and tell me. <laughs> And I said, I really wanted to have a second baby. I really wanted to have a third baby, but I really wanted to not have an only child. Not for, not because I did not adore um, the child Parker that I had. I didn't want him to be alone. Mm. And, um, you know, because you never know what's going to happen in life, but especially with someone like mine. So I had always desired to be able to have, you know, another child. And at that point, Parker was over three. Much to Peter's chagrin, um, we didn't find out until like almost four months that I, three weeks after I had that amputation, that I got pregnant with Grayson. Gracie, I've uh, read a couple of descriptions in uh, Peter's book, Hope for the Caregiver, and I think in your book, too, uh, that has described the kind of pain that you were in 24-7. I mean, even though this uh, accident was when you were 17, over 30 years ago, like you said, it's, there's not a one and done fix. And you, you are in excruciating pain probably 24-7. And so it's amazing that you're able to talk with me right now. But how has that pain shaped your view of God? Does it affect your faith in any way? Um, I'd be lying if I said that it it doesn't. The why question, I think, comes up a little bit more. I've heard some people 
say, oh, you know, if your faith is really strong or if you're that's a disrespectful to question God. And I um, when I look at scripture, I don't see that at all. In fact, I see the complete opposite. Christ himself on the cross said, Father, Father, why have thou forsaken me? So I don't at all see that in scripture when I search scripture for, you know, an answer to, is that okay to ask why? I I only can see examples of, yeah, <laughs> it's okay. And I have definitely asked that. I'm in pain. I've, I'm with a whole now group, new group of doctors because you know, 34 years, you know, you've outlived quite a number of doctors Mm. and a lot of them have either died or retired. So now I'm with a whole new group of doctors and I found out the, um, you know, all the things that we've done, all of the back surgeries um, and back fusions. And, you know, I've got tons of hardware in my back and stuff because, you know, Pretty much everything from my head down to my toes was mm-hmm. broken. Mm-hmm. And and then a lot of them, though, my neck was broken. My right mm-hmm. arm was crushed and shoulder. My sternum was crushed and cut open. Mm-hmm. My my pelvis and uh, three quarters of my back mm-hmm. was crushed. You know, that's why they didn't think I'd be able to have children. Everything was just so crushed and mangled. So I found out not too long ago, that I have uh, an incurable. And when I say that, please know, I say that knowing that I have a Redeemer who lives, Mm. who um, has absolutely no problem taking care of any of these things. And he has miraculously done so many things. First of all, I'm talking to you right now miraculously Mm. because of his grace and healing. Because I should not be here. When people go, oh, I'm so sorry. I go, don't be. Because you know what? I'm in a lot of pain all the time. But you know what? I'm alive. Mm. I found out not too long ago that I have a disease that basically comes when you have the number of surgeries, specifically back surgeries that I have had to have called severe adhesive arachnoiditis. Mm. Google that sometime. Mm. That's an exciting one to Google. Mm. Um, Not, Mm. you know, they say there's no cure for it. Basically, you can only treat it. But it comes along when you have spinal meningitis and when you have your dura, when your dura has been sliced open accidentally or when your dura has gotten brittle and Mm. leaked out spinal fluid uh, or when it's gotten, it's cracked and you know, the dura is that casing. It's, of course, more pliable than snakeskin, but it's kind of like that, that that surrounds your spinal cord and holds the spinal fluid around your spinal cord. Mm. That's the dura. Within that, you have all these nerves that go out from the spinal cord. Then the first part of them are encased in that fluid, and then they go through the vertebra, the holes there in the vertebra, out to all the places they're supposed to go to. When you have severe adhesive arachnoiditis, all of those nerves have gotten knots on the end of them. So they're trying to, this space that is around the spinal cord within the dura is called, uh, people go, oh, well, arachnoid, that means spiders. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people think it's because 
the the nerves make kind of a spider web type thing, which they do in this particular case. But it's not called that because of that. It's called that because space around the spinal cord is called the arachnoid space. So I'm with a good pain doctor now. Um, you know, I've tried um, I've tried stimulators. I've had pain pumps, the whole gamut of those things. And all they've done is make the arachnoiditis oh, work. My. Of course, we did. Peter and I didn't know that was going right. to happen. We didn't understand what you know severe arachnoiditis even was, but that's what mm-hmm. that does. The more surgeries and more procedures you have, um, it fills up you know the epidural space and the spinal space, and then the arachnoid space with scar tissue. And once that happens, you're in mm-hmm. a bad way. So anyway, um, I I would think af- after all of this stuff about the the um, the pain that I'm in and everything, it brings you to this. And I've been studying a lot about this lately. I'm sorry if That's I cry, okay. but um, the thing that I would say, you know, I used to think, um, oh, I I know the answer to that. Why, mm-hmm. you know, um answer to that why god had him um put lay his arms out on a cross and die for me which is true but when you're in this much pain all the time mm-hmm. and i'm not saying this in any kind of not that that's not enough believe me that's more than enough if it were only that it would be enough but i think the biggest thing when you're in a situation like this is trust and um the two scriptures lately that I've been going over a lot are one of them is uh Jeremiah 17 uh starting with um well basically 7 you know but blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope mm-hmm. and confidence mm-hmm. um they're like trees planted along a river bank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. I don't want to be a tree that ever stops producing fruit. Gracie, what are some of the scriptures that have really given you strength as you have dealt with this 24-7 pain and now this new diagnosis that you're experiencing? In First Peter, well, I think the, the best one, I've got tears in my eyes. That's sorry. all right. The, the first one, I think, to start is verse 8. You love him. This is the New Living mm-hmm. Translation. I've been reading a new uh, Bible that Johnny Erickson Tata put out cut, uh, called uh, the Beyond Suffering mm-hmm. Bible. It's where where struggling or struggles seem endless. God's hope is infinite. And um, and so I'm really grateful for this because I've never really read the New Living Translation. So it's really kind of like reading um, scriptures that I've known, you know, so well um, all again. And um, anyway, starting uh, here with First um, Peter uh, chapter one, uh, verse eight. You love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious, 
inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your mm. soul. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your mm. soul. And so for me, you know, all the things, you know, Peter's caregiving ministry, my ministry in Africa, all those things are wonderful. But they're all about that end reward, mm. that end reward of the salvation of your soul. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your soul. You know, if um, that's what I want to impart to these other people, to other people who are in a lot of pain, to other people who, who whoever it is whether they need prosthetics or for Peter, you know, or whether they are dealing with caregiving issues with their mom or dad or, you know, you know, their wife or husband. For me, it's, um, it's expressing to them that there are way worse things than having your legs cut off or having a loved one have an incurable disease the worst thing that could ever happen would to be to lose mm -hmm. your soul that's that's that is the ultimate worst thing that could ever happen i try to focus on those things and i try to ponder on those things when i'm reading scripture and i i mainly read the book a uh, study or devotional about um scripture I'm not saying that that's bad for somebody to not, but I only have short bursts of energy to be able to focus that kind of thing. For me, I want them to be something that is going to nourish my, my soul, that's going to speak to my heart, mind, soul, body, and spirit. And um, that's the scripture to me, that's scripture to me. And then that's the Holy Spirit to me. Gracie, what have you learned is the most important attitude for you to have when you are so dependent on others to take care of you? An attitude of gratitude. To understand somebody else is laying their life down mm. for mm. you. Literally, like scripture says, like um, Christ said, one's life down friend there's no greater mm. love than that than to lay one's life down for a friend that is um to be constantly and i'm not saying this like i'm constantly the perfect caregiver <laughs> got it <laughs> um at all but i i definitely think that that's the thing to try to always remember no matter what kind of attitude the caregiver is doing whatever they're doing for you with. They get tired mm. too. They get overwhelmed too. They experience hopelessness and depression too. So I think that just continually remembering what they're laying down to be able to give their all in taking care of you is is the thing to remember. It just to be mm. grateful. Gracie, I've had nerve pain a couple of times and I can only imagine what it is like 24-7. I, I can't imagine how awful it is and how exhausting 
it has to be for you in every way, mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. How do you stay fresh in your faith when you are in so much pain? There are some things that I think that God allows as graces in your life, like he did with Paul, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Christ mm. was saying to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul said, therefore, I can boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses mm. so that Christ's mm. power will rest on me even more. That's the deal. It teaches you have to be willing to be willing. That's the caveat. God's not just going to, you know, with lightning go, okay, I make you willing. He gave us free will. That's the thing. He wants us to choose to trust him. That's why the trust is such a big thing. I, through all of this, I've learned to trust my Savior like none other. I know I don't want anything else to happen mm. but i know that i know that i know i can do all things through christ who strengthens me i can live with flat back syndrome if he chooses mm. not to miraculously instantaneously heal me through christ who strengthens me and so i've learned way more about my savior in a wheelchair most of the time now, or on on crutches or with canes than I have when I was running three and a half to four miles a day as a healthy body. I saw on Facebook a video that I shared. It was so moving. I cry every time I watch it. And it's the one that Peter produced with you and Johnny, where you are singing the song because he lives. I it just makes me emotional even when I think about it. Tell us how important your music is and how you almost lost the ability to be able to use music in your life as a means to worship the Lord. I think the last time we spoke I'd still not fully gotten my voice back. That's the big thing I've been praying because I've sung all my life and the last surgeries I had four years ago, I coded so many times. They shoved a really large tube uh, to incubate me uh, through my vocal cords, and it hurt mm. them really badly. And um, and I didn't think I would ever be able to sing again. And so um, I've been vocalizing and stuff, and I'm finally starting to be able to tell, okay, Thank the Lord, you know, I, I, um, I'm so grateful that I'm able to sing again because the Lord allows me to go into a completely different stratosphere when I sing praises to him. I am able to go into that heavenly realm where one of my favorite songs is, you know, because he lives, I can face tomorrow because he lives. All fear is gone because I know he holds my future and life is worth living just because he lives. That's it. Life is worth the living because he lives. 
and um and I'm able to go into that place with him when I mm. when I sing hymns and pray songs and worship. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. It is a story that it just does exactly what you wanted to do. It brings all glory to Jesus. And for those of you who are listening, I've been talking with Gracie Rosenberger. Gracie and her husband, Peter, founded an organization, a nonprofit called Standing with Hope. And you can go to their website to learn more about it. Gracie's talked about it in our conversation, standingwithhope.com. Peter has written a wonderful book, Hope for Caregivers, which I read in one sitting. He has a radio broadcast, uh, a weekly broadcast that's been syndicated, which is fantastic since there, I think he told us there are over 60 million caregivers in our country alone. Uh, and then we also interviewed him for our Help and Hope series. And you can hear Peter's interview at markgink.org, M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org. And you can also know that Gracie's heart is that her story would help lead you to the heart of Jesus. She has said very clearly that the one thing that counts is whether or not you trust Jesus. It's not about how good you are. It's not about how many great things you do. It's about trusting him and trusting what he has done for you. It's possible that you really don't understand what Gracie is talking about. And if that's true, I wanna encourage you to get a Bible, maybe online or borrow one from a friend if you don't have one and start reading in the book of John and ask the Lord to open up your eyes to who he is, to what Jesus has done and how you can know him better. And you can also contact us at markinc.org. That's M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org. And we would be happy to share with you how to know Jesus. Go to markinc.org where you'll find more stories like this, stories that offer help and hope to hurting people. Thank you so much for listening.